0: Hello, and thank you for listening to this series, Christ Through the Ages. The Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, was organized in a slightly different way than the Greek or the modern European Bibles. The sections were three, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. In the Jewish categories, the Prophets begin with Joshua, and the third division, the Writings, includes some that we might not Uh, think would be there, and the result is that the Hebrew Bible ends at Chronicles instead of Malachi, though it's all the same books. Now, Christ's identity is in the background of every Old Testament book. In our previous lesson, we saw how the five books of the Torah testify to Jesus Christ. And next time, we'll see how the third section, the writings, point to him. But right now, we're going to examine the prophets. Now, not comprehensively, just a smattering Now, we could start with Joshua. There are things in that book that point to Christ. Or we could look at some of the more obvious and familiar prophecies, especially in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was the most quoted book in the New Testament, and it's the most quoted scripture in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And there are at least a dozen clear passages in Isaiah. I mean, just off the top of my head, I think of chapter 7, chapter 9, Eleven, forty-two, fifty-three, 42, uh, quite a few others. Um, I, I love teaching from other prophetic passages, like Ezekiel has quite a bit of Messianic material. My favorite is probably Ezekiel 34, the Good Shepherd passage, where we see the Good Shepherd as God. Micah 5 is popular, not only at Christmas. Malachi 3 and not only shows that the Christ will be uh, divine, but it even tells us that the Elijah figure, John the Baptist, will come first and challenge God's people to clean up their act. Jeremiah's wonderful book for messianic teaching, chapter 31, talks about the new covenant. The rules are going to change. Everything's going to change. And Jesus picks up on that. But in this lesson, I thought I would dwell on one of Jesus's favorite prophets and one that's always in the background of his words and actions, especially during the Passion Week. And that's the prophet Zechariah. So all the readings now will be from this book. And the uh, the whole book, of course, points to Christ, but especially and most clearly uh, the last six chapters. So chapters 9 to 11, we have prophecy of a shepherd king. A shepherd king. And then in chapters 12 to 14, a universal ruler. Now you'll find those broad headings in in other books, but I'm going to uh, begin in chapter nine, and I'll, I'd like to read a very familiar passage. Maybe it's the most familiar in Zechariah, for those who are looking for Christ. Nine nine, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, daughter of Jerusalem! See. Your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is, of course, equated with the triumphant entry. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives as he comes in at the beginning of the Passion Week, the last week of his life, the week of suffering, the week of his death, which will be followed by the resurrection on the Sunday following. So we have here the Christ riding on a donkey. Well, that's really familiar. Now, that's in the Gospels, but there's more uh, in just two verses later. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Okay, we have the idea of covenant, and, and this is often found in Messianic passages, in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, but, but right here. And remember, I just remind you that Jesus talks about the covenant. For example, the blood of the covenant, uh, which is represented, symbolized in the communion. Also in this passage, the very next verse, uh, it says, he talks about restoration. And not only in 9.12, but also in 10.6. Restoration, I will strengthen the house of Judah, save the house of Joseph. I will restore them because I will have compassion on them. They will be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord their God, and will answer them. So this theme of the restoration of God's people. Now, they were restored if we mean the restoration from captivity. So God's people are taken away by the Assyrians and the Babylonians in the 700s, 6, and 500s BC, but they come back later in the 500s under the Persians. That's usually what we mean by the restoration, but there's a different, a broader restoration in view, and this involves more than just coming back from captivity. It involves righteous leadership. It involves the Messiah, and this is the kind of restoration uh, that the Jewish Jewish people uh, anticipated. We see in chapter 10, uh, verse 3, uh, my anger burns against the shepherds. I will punish the leaders. Now, wait a minute. Douglas, is the shepherd the Messiah? Well Yes, but there's the contrast between the good shepherd and the bad shepherd, just as we see in Ezekiel 34, just as we see against the good and bad shepherds in John chapter 10. So there's the anger with the wicked shepherds. We see this also in chapter 11. I'll read 15 and 17. The Lord said to me, Take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd, for I'm going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost, or seek the young, or heal the injured, or fear Feed the healthy, but eat the meat of a choice sheep tearing off the hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. And it continues. But God is angry with the wicked shepherds, and uh, he holds the shepherds to account. You'll find similar language in 2 Peter and in Jude. Um, Another familiar uh, idea, chapter 11, verse 12. This is where uh, the prophet um, speaks of the 30 pieces of silver. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. Well, what's significant about 30 pieces of silver? Uh, well, for one, in the Old Testament, that's the typical price for a slave. Early in Genesis, it was 20, but then with inflation, it goes up to 30. But it's the amount in uh, silver pieces that Judas was given to betray Jesus, which is then thrown to the potter. Now i read the very next verse in Zechariah 11. The Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they prized me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff called union, breaking the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Uh, there's a lot of deep stuff in here, which I won't go into. Partly, I don't have time. Partly, I'm still working on understanding it all. But it is fascinating stuff. So you have the, the valuation at 30 pieces of silver paid, then thrown to the potter. Um, it's, it's really a pittance. It's, a, it's an insult. Uh, chapter 12, and here's a beautiful passage, uh, 1210. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. So the outpoured spirit, well, of course, you'll find that in a number of passages, in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, I think of Joel, well, with a fulfillment, of course, in Acts chapter 2. But right here in Zechariah 12, the spirit being poured out, and we see also in that same verse, the mourning for one they have pierced, And we find similar language in the book of Revelation, referring to Jesus. And so in 12 verses 10 to 14, all these mourning passages, mourning for the one who is pierced, It doesn't take a lot of imagination for anyone who knows the Gospels to see reflections and foreshadowing and and the rich uh, linguistic literary background here. I mean, it's it's great stuff. Chapter 13, 1. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. The idea of a fountain for cleansing. That language found all over Isaiah, all over Jeremiah. Uh, Here it is in Zechariah. You'll see it in, of course, John's Gospel, chapter four, chapter seven. It's in Revelation and many other places. And that's not surprising, it's a common image. But this idea of the fountain free, which is for you and me, and uh, it cleanses us from sin and impurity. We want that. We want that if we're following Christ. A little bit uh, further on in 13, 13, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who's close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Well, wow. the shepherd is struck, the sheep are scattered, and that is applied to what happens when Jesus is betrayed Um, the arrest party comes, and uh, who's scattered. And they they should have been better shepherds themselves, but the apostles are acting uh, very much like sheep, and they're scattering. And so we see a a very sad uh, prophecy and fulfillment in Jesus being abandoned by his chosen apostles. Now, they do turn around later, but it's not until after the resurrection that they really understand it. But there's more. As we go into the final chapter of Of uh, Zechariah, I almost said Revelation, but Zechariah is uh, very much in the book of Revelation. Revelation borrows a lot from Zechariah and from Daniel and Ezekiel. So the context in 14 is a war against Jerusalem, and there's a situation on the Mount of Olives. I like to read uh, 14.4. On that day, his feet, this is the feet of the Lord. Now it's a messianic passage, but you can see his divinity the Lord himself, he will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley. This is an amazing passage. And then right after that, uh, the Lord, my God, will come and all the holy ones with him. Wow, Mount of Olives. On the basis of this text, many Jews, Christians, and Muslims believe that the general resurrection and the last judgment will begin at the Mount of Olives, not surprising. And so you have this uh, this this uh, cosmic eschatological image here, apocalyptic, uh, how do you describe it? And then he, he speaks of a time, uh, on that day there will be no light. On that day, verse eight, living water will flow out from Jerusalem. Verse nine, the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day there will be one Lord in his name, uh, the only name. And and these are images you think, well, are they not fulfilled only at the end of time? Isn't that what Revelation is talking about? Yes, but the gospel message is that the future has broken into the present. So the future has dawned already. The next age is already here. So in Jesus's person and ministry, already these things are happening. So we do look forward to them, yet they're already here. It's the already, but the not yet. We see living waters flowing out of Jerusalem frequently depicted in a passage in Revelation. Revelation 22, verses 1 to 17. We keep reading about living waters. Lord, King over all the earth. That's what it's all about. And then you'll see in 16 to 19, an emphasis on the Feast of Tabernacles, which is Pentecost, which was meant to be all about devotion to the Word of God. And one more interesting passage. It's the final verse in Zechariah. And it, it again, the Lord um, is cleaning things up, everything's going to be holy. And the very last sentence of the last verse of Zechariah, and on that day there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. You'd say, Oh, is that what is that about? A Canaanite. Well, it can also be translated, There will no longer be a merchant. I mean, see, in, in uh, biblical prophecy, the idea is that eventually the foreigners will be accepted. I I think of uh, Isaiah particularly, you know, talking about this. Look around 56, 57, 58. The idea that uh, the temple, God's house, will be a place of prayer for all nations, as Jesus said. But uh, the Canaanite, this word in Hebrew, with just a slightly different understanding, is a merchant. And so here we've got uh, selfish business interest. Oh, you'll see this, not just in uh, books like Nehemiah, you'll see it in Zechariah, just with uh, the prophets who are in it just for what they can get. But in Jesus's own time, we had merchants in the temple. I don't think his point was that uh, providing a service, even if you charge it uh, for it is wrong Um, in the temple precincts. I think it's a little bit more than that. It's the nature of what they were doing was wrong. Uh, it's It was not only inappropriate, it was wrong, it was unrighteous. And the temple would be cleansed of merchants. Isn't that very much what Jesus does when he launches in and he attacks? Symbolically, of course, the temple courts are huge. The tables he kicked over would have been very few. I mean, people at the other end of the temple courts would have been only vaguely aware of Jesus' action in cleansing the temple. But word would have got back to the high priest, to the corrupt duo of uh, Annas and Caiaphas, that uh, Jesus was exposing them, he was against them, and perhaps even that here, who does he think he is? He's trying to fulfill uh, Zechariah 14 and get the merchants out of the temple. And that's what has to happen. Just as in our own lives, certain things have to be kicked over, upset, removed, certain things have to be removed from our lives if the Messiah is really going to reign and uh, sit on the throne. of of our hearts, we're going to have to get cleaned first. We need that fountain of cleansing. We need that outpoured spirit. We need to allow the Messiah into um, our hearts. Well, uh, as I think I've demonstrated, many passages in this part of Zechariah 9 to 14 are in the background of the Passion Week, from the triumphal entry um, leading all the way towards the following Sunday Easter, uh, and echoes of things that will happen even on the distant horizon and they're picked up in the book of revelation isn't that inspiring and there you know we could have done this with uh many other prophetic books i wanted to do zechariah next time we're going to uh take a peek at how uh old testament books in the third section of the hebrew bible the writings how they show us christ and stand stand by uh, we'll, we'll learn some more at that time